You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with myself, Jonathan McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we're going to discuss HomeServe, Imperial Brands, EasyJet, The Big Yellow Group, and C Limited. First of all, we've got HomeServe. So, Sam, what's the news from HomeServe this week? So, HomeServe, who, for anyone who doesn't know, are the home repair provider who have recently been added to the FTSE 100, have just released their six months results up to 30 September 2020. Revenue was £536 million, which was up 17% year on year. Operating profit was £21.2 million, which was down 27% year on year. Profit before tax was £10.1 million, which was down 49% year on year. And the earnings per share was 2p a share, down 60% year on year. The net debt as well now stands at £586 million, which is an increase of 30% year on year. And the number of members is at 8.2 million, which is a 1% increase year on year. And the membership retention remains at 82%. So the company have said that they were operationally resilient in all areas. They had strong growth in North American membership and retention increased to 83%. The European membership business was focused on an increase in the number of affinity partnerships. Consumer demand on the website Checker Trade, Habitissimo and eLocal recovered strongly after early lockdowns, reaching the highest ever level of website visits during the last four months of the period. And their operational response to coronavirus remains on keeping staff and customers safe. Richard Harpin, the founder and CEO, has commented what HomeServe stands for, making home repairs and improvements easy, has never been more important. The stresses of living and working through a pandemic mean that we are all more aware than ever of the value of home comforts. Our strong policy retention in the first half underscores the value our membership customers place on the services we provide. Against a challenging backdrop, I'm really pleased that the business continues to perform well. As we go into busy winter months, our focus continues to be on delivering great service for our customers and a secure livelihood to our teams and trades. The latest wave of lockdowns has made no fundamental difference to our operations. And the good news for us and our customers is that engineers can continue to work in people's homes. Based on what we see today, we are confident of delivering a healthy mix of organic and acquired revenue growth at the full year, with profits ahead of our prior expectations. They've also announced that the interim dividend is up 7% to 6.2p a share, which they've said reflects a strong performance and continued confidence in their growth prospects. On that growth prospect, it's it's quite interesting because the checker trades division, which people may be aware of if they've ever looked for a tradesman, that was actually up during the lockdown period. I think that was up over 30%. They've also been developing an online platform, which is basically an Uber for tradesmen. So in conjunction with the checker trade, they'd also have that as well. So I do agree, it's quite an interesting element of the business. Several different aspects to it. Like you said earlier, it's got North America. And they're now, I think, is it Japan as a new market that they're planning on expanding into? Yes. So they're they're 8.3 million customers uh, in the UK, North America, Europe and Japan. 
Um, interestingly, North America is actually their biggest market rather than the UK. Yeah, and that you can't that can't be said of many FTSE 100 businesses. No, no, it can't. But yeah, it does look like a well-run business. So in terms of the valuation, it's got a market cap of £3.92 billion, a PE ratio of 28, and a dividend yield of 2%. What do you think of the valuation there? I think it's pricey. But if we just go on to the financials, it, it's been doing well. So I'll just give the financials for the past five years, but bear in mind yeah. it has been quite it has been quite acquisitive. So it's it's not all organic growth. But 2016, revenue was 633 million. 2020, it was 1.1 billion. Operating profit in that period increased from 86 million to 160 million. And earnings per share increased from 19p a share to 31p a share. So it, it has been growing nicely. So I, I think that premium valuation is justified. I think it's fairly valued without the app it's developed as well. So I think if that were to take off and become a significant part of the business, that would be very exciting. So at the minute, the growth has been very good, but it, it's growing from a very small base. Even without that, I think it's still a good business. And that's what I like about it. And going back to the acquisitions, do you think, what do you think of the level of debt that the company has at the moment? I think, was it 580 something million? So in 2016, the borrowings stood at 197 million. And as you mentioned, they're now at 585 million. So it has grown significantly, but the business and profitability has grown as well. Mm. I'm not too concerned about it because I think the growth of the business means that it is still a very manageable level of debt. Yeah. Do you have the figure? Uh, yeah, I think it's 587 million. Yeah, so 587 million at the minute. 2020 profit was 100 million. So it's not, and it's been it's been growing fast. So yeah, I, th- I think it has been u- used to fuel growth, but I don't I don't think it's at a concerning level, especially mm-hmm. you know, it's only like 20% of the market cap. What do you think of it? I like it as a company. I initially i'd sort of had quite uh, i suppose i thought it'd be quite a dull business but i think actually the different sort of uh, aspects to it with checker trade the new app and then actually home serve the, the sort of core part of the business i suppose growing quite rapidly as well and being in different markets i think it it probably does justify the valuation and uh, it's something i'd consider for my own portfolio i think mm. I, I should actually mention that i do own it um, okay but yeah, for the, the home experts business, revenue actually grew 77% last year. Yeah. So like, like I said earlier, it is off a, off a low base, but mm. it's exciting, I think. And I think yeah. that, that is what, what I do like about it is that when you get a lot of these platforms and apps, if you invest in them as a standalone business, if it doesn't really work, that's it. There's nothing to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. with this, you've got a very good underlying business. So ideally yeah. the home expert side of the business would take off. But if it didn't, I think you still yeah. paid a you know a good price for a good business. That's right, and with that side of the business, they are expanding into new markets too. So that that could well be you know very promising, and they've done well so far in the states. Yeah, and I think it, like you said, it is unusual for a FTSE business to go to America <laughs> and do well, and for it to then become it's, the biggest market. So yeah, it it does look like they they have sort of cracked that overseas yeah. part of it. Yeah. So yeah, there could there could still be a lot of room for growth ahead of it. That's right. And Mr. Harpin has done very well himself and owns twelve and a half percent of the business. So 
I think that makes a stake over the 500, over the half a billion mark. And I think that's good as well. It's still found a lead because I think statistically, yep. if they do do a little bit better, so, companies yes, that found yeah. a lead. True, true. So yeah, good business. Yes. What have we got next? So next up, we have Imperial Brands. Imperial Brands have reported their full year results. The core business, the core tobacco business, I should say, net revenue rose by 1.8% to 7.78 billion as the price increases helped offset a 2.1% in decline in global volumes and a hit of 90 million in COVID-related costs. The net group revenue rose by 0.8% to almost 8% on a constant currency basis and adjusted operating profit declined by 4.8% to 3.5% billion. Despite that, they did gain market share in certain markets with the Imperial brands cigarettes. So that would include Davidoff. And they've also got their next generation products, which includes Blue Vapes. Overall from the next generation products, which includes, as I say, the vapes and also the heat not burn technology, that on a global level fell by 27%. And the profits were at uh, 278 million for those. There's been increased regulation, particularly in the States, and there's been a ban on flavoured vapes, which has really hit it. And some areas that had done particularly well were conventional tobacco sales in Asia, Africa and Australasia, which grew 5%. And the management have said that low to mid single digit operating profit growth for 2021 and the dividend of uh, 137.7p per share in 2020 and that was in line with the rebase level that they announced in May after they cut the dividend by a third. Previously they'd had a progressive 10% increase in the dividend per year. So overall it was received fairly well by the markets. The shares were up about 6% on the day. Did you have any thoughts on the results, Sam? I thought they were quite good. Like you said, operating profit fell 4.8%, but revenue was basically flat. So I think you gave a figure of 1.8% and adjusted for currencies, it was um, it was 0.8% increase. That falling operating profit, I think it can be put down to, well, it's been put down to COVID and regulatory costs. So it's it's probably quite a steady business given given what's going on around us. I think it's people are still smoking. That's right. I suppose on that, it's probably probably the most offensive business you can get, or at least one of them. I think people know that over the long term, it's probably going to be a very, very slight decline, but it's priced for a much, much bigger decline. And I think we'll actually see. I think it's a very, very reasonably priced stock. That's right. And I think the forward priced earnings is... 5.4. Yeah, which is crazy. It's, it's crazy. 10-year average is 11, just for a bit of yeah. perspective. But I, I mean, I think over the last few years with the growth of ESG investing, there's been an institutional sell-off of the big tobacco companies, which the FTSE has a couple, British American Tobacco and Imperial Brands. So that's probably really depressed the share price as well. It's been the case for more than a few years that we've had sort of global declines in cigarettes or people smoking and cigarette volumes. But it's probably been that institutional sell-off in particular that's depressed the price more. I think it's been depressed. To, I think it was a fine business before then, but I think it's been depressed to such a level that 
with a forward PE of 5.4 and a dividend yield of 9.9%, even if there's no revaluation in terms of the the PE multiple, because the earnings are so high, I think you could still get a market beat in return, even if that multiple stays the same. If you're taking your 9.9% dividend a year, I mean, it's it's hard to do badly. I think it's it's nearly covered two times. Yeah, so it's, I, th- I think it's very hard to do badly on a stock like this, as long as you don't, as long as you're not put off by the ethics. If we're just purely looking at the business ethics aside, I mean, that's something, and that does feed into the ESG and the institutional sell-off. It's sort of whether it's ethically acceptable as a business to you. But if we look purely at the numbers, it's it's not an expensive business, and it's generating a huge amount of cash. I think if it wasn't. If it wasn't a tobacco company price like this, you'd look, especially with the dividend yield being so high, you'd look at it and you would be thinking, well, what's wrong with it? Because it is priced as if it's going to go bust in the next few years. Exactly. Well, and it, it may go bust, but unlikely in the next few years. Yeah, I think you're, you're looking at least 20 years out, really. Yeah. And the I suppose one of the difficulties is they took on quite a lot of debt to buy or to invest in the next generation products, which they're not seeing the growth and they're seeing more regulation than perhaps was once was expected, given that the next generation products or the idea of them is that they're less harmful from a health perspective than traditional cigarettes. Do you think that's been bad for them though? Because more people are probably, if, if the next generation products are taken off as much, are they, they're not as high margin as the traditional products they're not, are they? No, they're not as high margin, but I suppose, I don't know whether it would have changed the share price in that you, you saw a future as well and perhaps mm. a less harmful future. I don't know. Do you think cannabis could make a difference to it? If that was legal. <laughs> it probably could. And I think Imperial Brands do have some shares in cannabis companies that I'd have to check that. I'm not, uh, not 100%. It's certainly not a big part of the business. But I think probably the big tobacco companies and the brewers and distillers would be very interested in. I think Diageo, that has, I think, got some investment in some of the cannabis businesses in North America. Imperial Brands do. They uh, invested 75 million in a Canadian cannabis company. There you go. I suppose a, a tiny part of their overall business, though. Yes. At the moment. Um, so, what do you think so, of it then, John? I think, in terms of the numbers, ethics aside, it looks very cheap and is probably, dis- like you say, got some sort of, I suppose, biases in the market that are working against it. So, if you didn't mind the business that they're in of selling tobacco, it would probably be very attractive. Hmm. And like you say, it's got a dividend of near enough 10%. Yeah. So, I should add as well that I do own, I continue to hold it as I did last time we talked about it. The other thing that could be attractive, although I don't think anyone would buy a share on the basis that it could be a takeover target, but of the big four tobacco companies, it's the smallest and it's like you say it's got a a forward price to earnings of 5.4 whether it would be an attractive acquisition for one of the bigger players like you say you wouldn't buy it for that but i think a p of 5.4 you'd be just happy to hold it if anything you probably wouldn't want it to be taken over that no (laughs) that's that's well it depends at what price i guess yeah but it'd have to be significantly a, a, a huge premium to that, I would have thought, for you to be yeah. interested well, I mean, just uh, after, in it. 
just after the Brexit vote, they all all the tobacco companies they they went on quite the run, didn't they? Because they were seen as that defensive sector. The, oh, well, that's the thing, and that's what's quite sort of strange. If you were looking at the share price of these companies, the fundamentals haven't changed massively since then, mm. but the valuations of the companies have. Imperial's down about two thirds since the Brexit vote. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think it had been trading around, yeah, the £40 a share. And what what is it now? Is it about 15 or so? I think so, 14, 15. It's around 14, there. 15, yeah, that's right. So it's got a market cap of 14 billion and a share price of £14.90 a share. Interesting. Well, I suppose it'll be it'll be a company to watch and see whether the current valuation is justified or not. But well, it does I... it does it does seem a bit cheap. I think it could double and you could still argue it was cheap. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they haven't reported this week, but then there's, there's British American, which is the other big UK-based tobacco company. Um, I think that's a little bit more expensive. I haven't looked at it recently. And we'll have to yeah compare that perhaps when we get the, the next update from them. Yes. So onto a company that's not as cheap. Shall we move on to Big Yellow Group? Yeah, let's move on to Big Yellow. For anyone who doesn't know, they're a FTSE 250 company and they are the largest self-storage company in the UK with 101 storage locations. They've just reported their six-month results to 30 September and they've reported revenue growth of 2.3% to £65.8 million and like-for-like store revenue was up 2.4%. They said that this was primarily driven by average rate growth with average occupied space up slightly in the same period compared to last year. They're expecting occupancy to be the main driver of year-on-year revenue growth in the second half. Cash flow from operating activities after net finance costs increased 17.5% to £42.3 million. And the board said that this benefited from favourable working capital movements. Their adjusted profit before tax was 3.4% ahead to £36.5 million and earnings per share was down slightly, impacted by the dilutive effects of the April placing. The board announced an interim dividend of 17p per share, which was down 0.6% from the 17.1p per share it distributed for the first half of 2020. Operationally, they said that like-for-like occupancy increased 6.6% from 1st of April and was 3.9% ahead of the same period last year to 87.3%. Their net rent per square foot rose 2.2% from last year. They announced that they'd opened new stores in Camberwell, Brackwell and Battersea, which added 205,000 square feet. And all three of those are expected to make a positive contribution to earnings next year. They've also acquired a new development site in Wapping, Planning consent was granted for new stores in Hayes, North Kingston, Wembley, Harrow and King's Cross, with eight of the 11 sites in the pipeline now with planning consent. He said the placing of 8.3 million shares in April raised 79.9 million net of expenses to grow the development pipeline, which led to current net debt of £290 million and available liquidity of £135 million. 
Executive Chairman Nicholas Velch said, this pandemic has accelerated many structural changes that were already occurring, such as the move to online retailing and an increase in working from home facilitated by technological advances. These developments combined with the shortage of quality, flexible mini warehousing space, particularly in London, is helping to drive our demand. And we believe these are long-term trends. If we look back to our trading over the last six months, and indeed since the period end, it is reasonable to say that to date, the structural tailwinds have been significantly stronger than the headwinds generated by the pandemic. Vetch said the current outlook for both the economy and the pandemic remained uncertain, and the management are constantly alert to the threats and challenges generated by the crisis. The company's stores are approaching 90% occupancy, which Vetch has said gives them pricing power. He said, we have, we have the potential for further external growth with, with a significant pipeline, which has further been de-risked by the securing of planning consent. Our capital structure is conservative with interest cover of just under 10 times, providing both downside protection and upside opportunity to develop new sites. So in terms of the company valuation, they have a market cap of 2.03 billion, a dividend yield of 2.92%, and the share price is currently at £11.50 a share. The 52-week high is £12.45 per share, and the 52-week low is £6.30 per share currently trading at a PE ratio of 27.59. What do you think of them, John? They have said that they've been growing and are sort of trying to justify the price, but it does sound quite expensive for a self-storage company. I agree. So if you look at the historical financials as well, in the five years from 2016 to 2020, revenue grew from 101 million to 129 million, Net profit shrunk from 112 million to 92 million. I guess you'd argue it's because they've been focusing on actual growth and they've mm-hmm. been putting a lot back into the business. Earnings per share, again, that fell pretty much in line with the net profit and the dividend per share hasn't changed very much. No, and it doesn't sound like it's a business with a particularly big moat around it. No, I guess at the minute they have somewhat of a moat by just by the fact that they've got they are the biggest and that they've said that because they are approaching 90% occupancy, they do now have a bit of pricing power. But if you've got a building large enough, anyone could do this. Sell storage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I suppose once you've get, got people in there, they're not going to move to a cheap one once their stuff's already in there. But yeah, I don't think there's much of a moat there. No. And in terms of it being a long-term trend, do you see that Big Yellow are going to be the big player going forwards? And do you, do you buy into it being a long-term trend? I think it's a long-term trend. I think it makes sense, especially like as you've got less offices and businesses don't need as large premises and stuff like off-site storage. It does make a lot more sense if you've got, for example, smaller premises. My concern with it is that the profits have fallen over the last five years because they've been tra- focusing on growing revenue. And it's only increased by 30% in that period. And I think even, I know they've got, I think it was, they said, got, they're planning for 11 new stores, which would be a 10% increase on the number they've got currently. But they've had to fuel that by diluting shareholders. Mm. Yeah. So it's, you're not even benefiting to the full extent from that growth. And then, like you say, there are there are questions about how much of a moat there is. And this could be something where it's just not that profitable in the future. So I think it looked like a decent business, but at 27 times earnings... I'd expect it to revenue to have grown by more than 30% in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, I think that's fair. So is it is it one that you're going to be watching or buying? It's interesting. 
it's it's one that I'd revisit. Yeah. Poss- possibly possibly once as maybe some more of those new sites are operational, if you can see if they're making a positive impact. But I think as well, it's, it is near the 52-week high. And I, th- I think the fact that this probably is a long-term trend, I think a lot of people have, have piled into it and it, it does look quite pricey at the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd pos- in fact, let's have a look at what the share price has. The share price has done well, actually, in the last five years. So it's it's it was at about £7.50 a share five years ago. So that's an increase of 53%. Plus, you'll have had some dividends as well. So that's, that's pretty decent. Not bad. Percent. Yeah. It, it, look, it looks like a good business. I just, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it at that price. But I think there the, the probably would be a price at which I would be interested. Sure, yeah. No, agreed. I think there'll be a price, but yeah, it's, no, it's not it's, one. It's not one you'd rule out completely. It's not one I'd rule out completely. I, I might watch. Yeah, watch it probably. I think in March it maybe would have been a lot more interesting when it was half the price. <laughs> no, that's true. That is but true. A lot of I think, uh, yeah, a lot of businesses were exactly, exactly. What's next on the list? EasyJet. EasyJet. Okay, so not good news from EasyJet, as you might expect. So they released their full year trading update and they plunged to losses of nearly 1.3 billion. And they'd had to cut services by 80% going into this winter as well. They, I think, had over 4,000 redundancies and it had cost over 123 million further 311 million charge for future losses on unwinding the foreign exchange and the jet fuel contracts and 75 million of losses on the sale and lease back of aircraft shares at about seven sort of seven pounds 50 seven pounds 60 a share and they previously prior to covid been trading above 15 pounds and i mean over the last few months since we've had lockdowns and travel restrictions, it's all been quite incoherent and there have been changes to the quarantine rules. So that's caused them further problems. And to sort of put it in context, if you compare it with their sort of biggest rival, Ryanair, they've had four times the losses of Ryanair. And Based on the current travel restrictions in the core markets, EasyJet are expecting to fly no more than 20% of planned capacity over the winter, so uh, cut by 80%. And they claim that they'll retain flexibility to rapidly ramp up capacity if they see demand return. But I think they're not able to offer further financial guidance going into 2021 because of all of this certainty, uncertainty rather. And the price to book at the moment is about one. And historically, it's been close to the two mark. So it's looking cheap, but for good reason. It's not going on the watch list then, is it? Even when the travel was free, it wasn't on the watch list. I wasn't keen on aviation, but it's certainly not on the watch list now. No. I just don't like it. I don't. I don't know what you. Whether you have any thoughts. There's no real competitive advantage, is it? I mean, you are especially when it's easy, Jack. You just you go for the cheapest. So it's not. It wasn't a particularly. It was a very difficult business pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, if things don't pick up, like it could go bust. And even yeah. if it if it doesn't go bust, it's saddled with all this debt that's going to take years to pay off. It's, it's yeah. I don't know why anyone would want to buy it unless it's with the hope that someone's stupid enough to pay more for it at some point. Yeah, I think it would probably be 
I think it'd be traded. Very speculative. If yeah, trade is that's right. I think if you if you were buying that with the intention of holding it for ten years, you'd have to be quite a brave man. Yes, woman. that's right. That's a woman. Yeah. Uh, to our female listeners, yeah, no, it's it's not something I'd be even going on the watch list to be honest. Would you have ever considered it pre-pandemic? Not really. I ah, same. Yeah, same. I think. I don't know, maybe I'm just biased against aviation, but I think there are probably a lot of things that work against it and uncertainties yeah. in, yeah. I think for them to make a nice profit, there's a lot of things that have to go well. Because I mean, even stuff that's like the right. oil price has a big impact, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, massively. I mean, that's very low at the moment, but <laughs> it, I don't think it's going to be doing much good to EasyJet right now. Um, uh, but I suppose if, if you were to spin, uh, put a positive spin on it, if there are vaccines that may be coming out early next year, travel restrictions are lifted, pent up demand for foreign holidays, it, it could work well for them. But it's a bit like even before coronavirus and before the sort of global pandemic, a lot of things would have to go right for them. Yeah, I think the problem with it is as well that we could still be talking years before like flights return to normal levels and if they have a flight, even if things pick up a bit, if they have a flight where it's, they're running at 70% capacity, it costs just or virtually the same, it costs virtually the same amount for them to fly a plane at 70% capacity as it did at 100%. So it's, yeah. it's still not going to be an attractive business. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't have much more to say on it. Right, should we move on swiftly then? I, 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 yeah, I, honestly. Um yeah, that so, was you putting a positive spin on it. I, I, I tried, but I don't. I think there's only so much sort of optimism you can have with EasyJet right now. But yeah. we could be we could be completely wrong. Um, so don't let that put you off. If it doesn't go bust, it probably will pick up a bit. But well, yeah, when there's such a strong chance, I just don't know why you yeah. risk it. No, that's right. That's right. So we've got our American share this week, and that's a business called C Limited. Yes, so it is. So it's actually an Asian company, but it's listed in the US. So for anyone who doesn't know C Limited, they're basically the Amazon of Southeast Asia, and they're the number one e-commerce platform there. I'll just do a bit of background in terms of valuation before jumping into the results, because I think it is a very expensive stock. So I think that the valuation is important to have that in mind when we're going through them. They first went public in 2017 at $15 a share. And they're trading at $183 a share today. So they've done quite well since going public. And in the past year, the share price has had a 52-week low of $35 a share and a 52-week high of $187 a share. So they're pretty much four or five X in the past year. And they're near the 52-week high. They currently have a market cap of $89.3 billion dollars. And the business is split into three different segments. So they've got Shopee, which is their e-commerce marketplace, C-Money, which is the payment platform, and Garena, I think is how it's pronounced, which is their gaming business. They have recently re- released their third quarter results, and they announced that revenue doubled to $1.2 billion for the quarter, but their net loss also doubled to $416 million. Quarter-on-quarter growth in E-commerce gross merchandise volume dropped 16% from 29% in the second quarter. They forecast that their digital entertainment business will surpass revenue of 3.1 billion for the year compared to the 
earlier statement of 2 billion and their e-commerce business is now expected to exceed 2.3 billion of revenue for the year, which is up from 1.8 billion. The revenue of Garena, the gaming platform, increased 73% year on year to 569 million. Revenue from the marketplace, Shopee and other services climbed 113% year on year to 489.5 million. And total sales and marketing expenses in the third quarter increased 87% to 471 million. So overall for the business, total revenues were up to 1.2 billion, which was 99% year on year increase. Gross profit was up to $407 million, which is a 101% year on year increase. Their adjusted EBITDA was 120 million, which is compared to a loss of 31 million a year ago. Their digital entertainment booking is at 945 million, which is up 110% year on year. And the e-commerce revenue was up to $619 million, which is up 173% year on year. What are your thoughts on that, John? I suppose it's very attractive. You've got massive growth, but you are paying for it. As I suppose with all of these sort of growth companies, if there is a bit of dis- disappointment or they don't quite meet whatever the analysts are expecting, then there's quite a long way to fall. But it does, it, like you say, it does sound like it's the dominant player and doing very well. Yeah. So, I mean, that revenue of $1.2 billion for the quarter for an $80 billion company, that is expensive. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's hard. I think it's hard to justify that, even with, even with 100% revenue growth, I think. That's yeah. insane. And especially, and the gross profits only, which I think is an important metric because the gross profit really, I think for companies like this, it gives you an indicator of how profitable it can be. Because I think when it's growing like that and you are paying for the growth, you want to see a high growth profit margin because that suggests that once it gets to a certain scale, it will flow down through to the bottom line. Because mm. presumably you think all the operating expenses, a lot of that's going to be sales and marketing and stuff like that, where they can scale back on that as they get bigger potentially. But for $1.2 billion of revenue, I thought gross profit of 400 million was quite low given how mm. highly it's valued. Yeah. And the, I mean, but, the share price is up nearly 350% this year. Yeah. And it's, it's trading at a price of sales. I think it must be quite, quite close to 40, mm. which I suppose you can argue that for a company growing 100% year on year, it's maybe justified, but I would expect the gross margin to be higher as well. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think, I mean, not that we're discussing C, but if you compared it with, say, uh, Melly in South America, how do you think it compares as a business? They are quite similar. So Mercado Libre, which is the, like, it's basically the Amazon of Latin America. They're quite a similar size now. I'll just have a look at... They released their earnings recently, actually, and oh, okay, oh, good. That's it was a week or two ago, maybe. So I'll just have a look because that would be quite a good comparison. So they had revenues of one point one billion, which was up one hundred forty eight percent year on year on an FX neutral basis. So Mercado Libre is growing quicker. I think Mercado Libre is actually the smaller company as well. So I, I own Mercado Libre, just for full disclosure. So Mercado Libre, that's only valued at 70 billion. The growth rate was at 148%. Yeah, they had $14.5 billion of payment volume, which was up 162% year on year. 5.9 billion of gross merchandise volume, which was up 117% year on year. 
gross profit, they had a gross profit of 480 million. So that was a margin of 43%, which actually was down from 47% in the prior year. That is a slightly higher gross profit, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning as well that Mercado Libre, because it's in Latin America, a lot of those countries, they have quite serious currency problems. So for it to get the 148% growth on an FX neutral basis, it typically has to do a lot better than C does in terms of the actual yeah. native currencies. Yeah, yeah. So Mercado Libre, it's, it's still extremely expensive. I'm not sure if I'd... Oh, it's, it's difficult because it, it, it is such a good business. So I do, I do own it, but I'm not sure I'd, I'd be adding to it at this price. That's Mercado Libre, yeah. Yeah, but it's, if I was buying one of the two, I'd... I would buy Mercado Libre before I bought C Limited. C, yeah, yeah. What do you think? No, I I probably agree with you. I mean, I think it depends how how you view these companies and how you see it going forward. If you have another couple of years of the growth, then mm. they can definitely grow into the valuations. But I think you probably have to be quite brave to buy them right now. My view with companies like this is. If you think you can get in at a reasonable price, then you should. And then if you get to this quite silly valuation, you're probably better holding on to it than selling it. Still, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like I said, I'm not sure I'd be adding to it at this price, but I definitely won't be selling it. It is it no, is you, just they are they are both fantastic them. companies, but you you really do have to pay up for them. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. So there was uh, actually, un, un, unlike Imperial brands. Well, it's the opposite, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. But it's um it's an interest. There's a guy on Twitter called Seafel Capital. Yes, yeah, so his username's at S E I F E L C A P I T A L, and he's very very good. He covers a lot of these growthy American companies, and he's actually just started a newsletter which does have from in some interesting stuff. So I've just looked at one of his newsletters that he did recently on Sea Limited, and he's talked about the industry in Southeast Asia for the e-commerce stocks, and he said that. A little over a decade ago, four out of every five Southeast Asians had no internet connectivity and limited access to the internet. In the present day, this population represents one of the most engaged mobile internet cohorts in the world with 360 million internet users and 90% of whom are connected primarily through their mobile phones. Southeast Asian internet economy has more than tripled in size over the past four years, reaching 100 billion in 2019. The expected growth is staggering as it is expected to reach 300 billion by 2025. Indonesia and Vietnam are the two leaders. Their internet economies are growing more than 40% annually. Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore and the Philippines all sport healthy annual growth rates between 20 and 30%. I think that's a big part of the argument, isn't it? That as more and more people come online, I suppose you'd argue that growth, that growth probably can continue if those trends certainly continue and you the, the argument of the growth of the middle class as well it's quite a similar argument to what people make in latin america in terms of internet yeah. connectivity because they yeah, are right. massively behind the west in terms of internet connectivity and if you look at how huge amazon is now it's you can see why yeah. people are willing to pay up yeah no agreed i'll certainly be following it hindsight's 2020 but <laughs> <laughs> i'd have been happy to buy it a year ago <laughs> yeah of course of course i'm not i'm not sure about it. I, I, it could go on to justify like you say it could go on to justify that price but yeah for me it's exactly. not worth the risk not right now so of the five companies that we've talked about today home serve imperial brands 
Big Yellow Group, EasyJet, and Sea Limited. If you had to buy one, which one would it be? I'd probably go with HomeServe. I'd go with HomeServe as well. <laughs> okay. Which well, one would you buy last? No ethical reasons. No ethical reasons. In fact, no. I, I, I no ethical reasons. Uh, it would be EasyJet for sure. Yeah, I, thought, I thought it would be. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, EasyJet. Yeah. Yeah. Easy I think jet. I'd be I'd be fairly if EasyJet wasn't there, it'd probably be Big Yellow Group in that case. But Big Yellow Group did look like a decent company. Yeah. No. I'd I'd agree with you there. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.